Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Where do you find your identity? How do you describe yourself? If you live in an academic community, the question is often, where did you go to school? In other places and communities, the question might be, what do you do? I have a friend who lived in Alaska, and the question that she also often received was, where are you from? I recently joined an online Zoom class, and each of us were asked to identify briefly ourselves, describe ourselves, who we are, where we came from, and where do I find my identity? Hmm, really good questions. Well, I'm a daughter, a sister, a pastor. I'm a friend. I enjoy reading and walking on beaches and photography, but is that my identity? And while I'm all of these things, and, and they are important, and they talk about who I am and, and who I was created to be, but the bottom line is that my true identity is in Christ. I'm a child of God. The early Christians in Galatia, they used to ask the question, are you following the Jewish law? Now, in the scripture passage that was read for us earlier today, we see someone who certainly was following the Jewish law, Nicodemus. Grace, thanks so much for reading that scripture for us today. In this passage, we are introduced to Nicodemus. He takes his identity in being a Pharisee. So he's a Pharisee. What does that mean? Well, let's dive in, shall we, and see who this man Nicodemus was and what it means to be a Pharisee, and most importantly, how God meets him in the ordinary. As a Pharisee, he was highly educated in the Old Testament law of God. He held a position of religious authority in the community. He and all the Pharisees had strict, very, very strict observance of religious ceremonies and practices. They were distinguished by strict observances of the tradition and the written law. They placed an emphasis on observing the legalistic minutiae of the law. And they were teachers, gave instruction, and served as spiritual guides. Because of all of this, Pharisees were commonly held to be pretentious, superior, holier, and closer to God. We often tend to put Pharisees and Jesus on opposite sides because, well, most of the time they did seem to be bumping into one another and challenging one another. Yet I find Nicodemus to be interesting and a bit different from all of the other Pharisees that we read about in Scripture. We meet Nicodemus three different times in the book of John. The first one was read for us this morning. He visits Jesus in the night to discuss his teachings. Now, since other Jewish leaders and officials were speaking out and challenging and even taking Jesus to task openly during the daytime and in public, Nicodemus didn't really need to come and sneak through the night to visit Jesus. And yet, he does. Nicodemus 
concedes that God must have sent Jesus because of all of the miraculous signs that he has performed. But when Jesus starts talking about being born again, Nicodemus thinks literally and physically. He asks, how can anybody anybody be born twice? This is how he was trained. Trained to look at God and religion very, very concretely, defined by the rules and rules to be obeyed. Jesus continues the conversation. You're not listening to me. Let me say it again. Now, look at a baby. It's just like that. It's a body. It's a baby. You can look at it. You can touch it. But the person who takes shape within it is being formed by something that you cannot see, the spirit, and becomes a living spirit. Nicodemus was still confused. How can this be? I don't understand, he says. He's still stuck on the literal. As much as Jesus, or as much as Nicodemus, really, had studied the Old Testament, he sees it in terms of do this, don't do that. And when you obey the laws, you are obedient to God and close to God. When you don't, you're disobedient and farther away from God. God's laws were as much a part of spiritual things as they are about any other matters of health, wellness, and relationship. Jesus laments that Nicodemus cannot seem to grasp that holy concept. Throughout scriptures, we see countless examples demonstrating God's concern for us, our whole being, not just a part of us. God is with us in our everyday, the ordinary moments of our lives. I oftentimes think about different verses from Psalm 139 as it reminds me of God's constant nearness. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a tongue, a word is on my tongue. You, Lord God, know it completely. You are before me and behind me. You lay your hands upon me. And even if I were to go into the farthest, of, up into the heavens, you're there. If I take my, make my bed in the depths, you're there. God, you are with me always, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place. As a kid, the thought of Jesus, or I should say God, because God was scary to me, and the thought of God always being there was very, very scary because I thought that God just wanted to catch me messing up and saying, aha, caught you this time. But boy, was I wrong. God is there, always there to guide me, to watch over me, to love me, to strengthen me, to encourage me and give more of who I was created to be to help me grow in love and grow closer to God in God's grace and peace. God takes delight in me, and God takes delight in you. That's reason to rejoice and to shout for joy. Just look at how God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, how God was at the burning bush and the pillar of fire and the cloud, guiding, leading the people, both by day and by night. 
Look how God fed, fed the Israelites and gave them water to drink as they wandered in the desert. And the dietary laws that God gave, wow, that is meant not to be a limit for them, but to keep them safe and healthy. Our physical beings matter to God. We matter to God. We are important to God. We always have been. Nicodemus didn't seem to understand that there was more to God and his own relationship with God, more than just keeping those rules. Nicodemus had put worship and faith in God into sort of a box of rules, and he couldn't look beyond those blinders. When he left Jesus that night, he seemed to go away empty. If this were the end of the story, we'd have to say he just didn't get it. But interestingly, let's look at the next two times that we see about Nicodemus in the Gospel of John. The next one is in chapter 7. Nicodemus advises his colleagues among the chief priests and the Pharisees against unlawfully seizing Jesus, pointing out that the Jewish law states that they are to hear and investigate before making a judgment concerning Jesus. This was probably, or he was rather, probably the lone dissenting voice in the Sanhedrin when Jesus was on trial. And the third and the final time, the reference is in chapter 19 of John. Nicodemus appears after the crucifixion, and he along with Joseph of Arimathea. They come to the cross. They take the body down. Christ's body down off of the cross. Nicodemus was the one who provided the customary embalming spices. Nicodemus was the one that assisted in giving Jesus a traditional Jewish burial. But there's lots more that we could say, but that's a whole nother sermon. But did you notice all the ways that God showed up and met Nicodemus in the ordinary everydayness of his life? As he saw Jesus moving in Galilee, teaching and performing miracles, as he talked with Jesus that night, as he talked with the other Pharisees and the members of the Sanhedrin, as he, as he prepared and he gathered the embalming spices, as he went with Joseph to the cross and to the tomb. God met Nicodemus in his place of work, in his place of worship, his place of study, in the marketplace, in his inner thoughts. God was there meeting Nicodemus every moment of his day, whether he knew it or recognized it, whether he was eating or sleeping, walking or teaching. God was there with him. It wasn't just when Nicodemus was at the temple or teaching or doing some of those other tasks that are necessary for Pharisees. He was there with each breath that Nicodemus took, each delight and, and taking delight in him as he took steps closer and closer to walking with God in the ordinary day of his life. Now, let's take a brief look at another time that Jesus was there in the ordinary of life. This time, it's a party. It's a celebration, the wedding at Cana. Jesus and his disciples and his mother Mary, they were among the guests celebrating the beginning of this new marriage and life together of this young couple. 
I won't go into the details now. You can read it all again in John 2. But the wine is gone. In our culture, wedding celebrations might occur or might include some time after a wedding rehearsal, then the reception, sometimes a brunch or something like that to follow the next morning for family and close friends, and maybe a few other celebrations. But during Jesus' time, the wedding celebrations went on for days and days, and wine was a very important piece of that celebration, just as it is with many other Jewish celebrations. Now, we don't know why the wine ran out, but it did. And there was a lot at stake, not to mention the reputation of the host. Have you ever gone to a party or celebration when you got to the front of the line that the food was gone? Yikes. What are some of the thoughts that go through your mind? Mary, Jesus' mother, didn't want the fact that the wine was gone to tarnish the reputation of the host nor dampen the spirit and the celebration. Jesus went to the wedding feast and enters into the ordinary life of all present, making sure that there was enough wine to celebrate, just as at other times he fed the 5,000 on the hill or he cooked fish for his disciples on the shore after his resurrection. In the same way that God connected with Nicodemus and the guests at the wedding, and the people on the hillsides, and the disciples, and we could go on and on. In the same way, God meets us every day where we are, whether we're working or walking, caring for a baby or a loved one. God meets us as we take care of ourselves. As we're doing our exercise, God takes care of us and meets us there. The very God who created us with special care and delights in our physical being meets us as we acknowledge and care for the whole person of who we are, body, soul, and mind. Each and every aspect of who we are matter to God because we are made in God's image. I encourage you this week to look for those examples where God meets you in the ordinary when you're at the gym, when you're taking a walk, remember, thankfully, that God is there with you always. God's hand will guide you. God's right hand will hold you fast. ago I took a road trip to visit family and as we were packing the car I made the huge mistake of lifting something that was obviously way too heavy for me to lift all by myself and over the next few weeks of sitting still in the midst of long car travel my body began to tell me over and over again everything hurts and I'm dying now When we got home, not a whole lot got better. And so my wife helped me find a physical therapist and make an appointment. What totally surprised me about the whole thing was how utterly simple and easy all the exercises were. This wasn't exactly CrossFit. It was more like the stoutness exercises from Winnie the Pooh. And yet slowly, over the course of the next month, I discovered that the pain in the back and hips slowly receded as the stretches and the exercises that they gave me 
realigned my body. Now it occurred to me that our spiritual exercises that we're talking about in all this aren't much different. Um, They're simple, but they have great effect over time. Now, simple one-off Lectio Divina or a couple of breath prayers are not going to make a spiritual giant out of us. But over time, these practices will really help us grow in both faith and character. beginning, the scriptures say that God formed the heavens and the earth. God made all of this. And yet so often we like to make our faith only about one little piece of who we really are. Um, We'll take and compartmentalize one piece of ourselves and then prioritize that piece over everything else. Some of us prefer the intellectual things of faith, the words, the ideas, the concepts. Maybe you prefer spending a lot of time with scripture or Bible studies or theological commentaries, that sort of thing. Others prefer emotion of their faith, the way that a song or a piece of art makes us feel, the connection that we feel to our brothers and sisters of faith. Maybe you like to sing or to dance. Maybe you love the relational connection that you find with your friends when you're in the gathering place after worship. And still others of us prefer the hands-on approach, the service-oriented hands and feet, loving others, doing things kind of faith. Maybe you love working with our youth group, or you love serving at food banks, or advocating for justice in our prison systems, or maybe you love caring for our planet. I tend to be the intellectual sort, if you could believe that. I tend to geek out over all things like Trinity and perichoresis and things like that, like nobody's business. But when it comes to the hands-on or the emotive pieces of my faith, I tend to have to work a lot harder to stay engaged. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment? But instead of answering with an actual commandment, as in the Ten Commandments, what Jesus does instead is he answers with the Shema, which is the centerpiece of much of Jewish worship. And it quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, which says this, The Lord our God is one. Love the Lord with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. The way that Jesus talked about our life with God was holistic, which means that nothing is left out. Like God, each of us is one being. After all, we were created in God's image. Now, sure, we have different aspects to our life, our bodies and our minds and our emotions, but ultimately, all of these pieces are intertwined with one another, and they cannot be separated. Lakota theologian Richard Twist wrote this, unless all the various parts of what God designed to make up the whole are intact and functioning, there is dysfunction. Each and every part must be connected and engaged, or there is no possible way to function fully and according to God's design and best plan. So as we seek space in the midst of all of these ordinary moments of life to connect with God, We can take this to heart with the sorts of ways that we choose to connect. We must not make our whole life with God a Bible study, for instance, or only spending time with our friends at camp, or maybe singing on the worship service, 
or only serving the poor. Now, it can and must be all of these things, but it must also be more, which is why today you're hanging out with me in my kayak. Something else that I discovered or maybe rediscovered in the midst of my physical therapy is how physical faith really is. And I discovered that I really struggle with connecting my faith with my physical world, uh, with my body. But I have also discovered that the rhythm of paddling my boat, the left, right, left, right, that steady rhythm, God often uses that to help release so much of the pent-up anxiety or tension or even anger from my week to him. And so in these times on the river, paddling becomes liturgy. of our faith is tied to our physicality in ways that we don't often consider. Many of us have not ever really taken the time to practice the spiritual discipline of rest in a very long time, and our mental and emotional lives are starting to pay the price. Still more of us haven't practiced silence or solitude, the practice of opening up a space where God can help free us from any of our loyalties that compete with our loyalty to him. And it's no wonder. All of these things are things that our culture pushes against with great effort. Likewise, while so many of us have decided to take up walking at this time during the pandemic, America tends to be a nation in general that suffers greatly from the pandemic of obesity. We, more than any of the other nations in the world, struggle to take care of ourselves physically. We don't sleep well. We don't eat well. And our lack of physical activity has cost us greatly as a nation, which I can understand. It's something I wrestle with personally. When I'm under stress or I'm anxious or I'm angry, my first instinct is not to go for a run or to grab a bike or to even get out for a walk. My first instinct is to grab the largest bag of stubble stuff Oreos that I can find and see how many of them I can fit in my mouth. And that's normal. That's not during a pandemic or during the tension of this election season. Corinthians, Paul writes that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, and as such, we should honor God with our bodies. Our physicality is part of what makes us created in the image of God. Now, it's only been recently that I have been trying to reconnect my mind and my emotions with my body, and I have to say, it's been quite difficult. This is not a natural thing for me, but it's one reason that it makes it so important. Now, in the midst of doing all of this, is this going to make me end up looking like Ryan Reynolds or Chris Hemsworth? Probably not. But that's not really the goal either. The goal is reconnecting with my creator and letting my creator redeem all of the parts of me into one. So I want to encourage you to take time and find out what is that you need to reconnect with your walk with God. What part of your life, what part of you are you leaving out? If it's your body, 
There are so many ways that you can let your physicality express what's going on in your mind or in your emotions. Sometimes you might need to be doing something as simple as mowing the lawn, those back and forth pushing of the lawnmower to clear your mind. Maybe it's a walk in the park. Maybe it's the rhythm of dusting off your living room shelving. Maybe it's pulling out some crayons and doodling, that tactile experience, but with no end product in mind. Maybe it's sitting on the front porch in a rocking chair and letting the rhythm of the back and forth clear your mind and focus your mind and your heart on listening to God's voice. Or maybe, maybe as you take some time for silence, what you'll discover that you need today is a nap. Because God is saying, my child, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Release your fears and get some sleep. For I am with you, all of you, your mind, your body, your emotions, and your spirit, now and for always.